This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project, the podcast where we're sharing stories of people of faith who have found success in their careers and uh, the way in which faith has carried them through from uh, that transition from from being uh, kids at school to successful, thriving adults. So delighted to be welcoming our guests this morning. This is a name that will be known to most of you, I think. Tim Manor is a uh, one of the stalwarts of those who follow rugby league, uh, a, a character in that profession who was well regarded um, universally, even though Eels fans have a special place in their heart for Tim. He was a, a guy, one of the players who was respected uh, across the, the different um, fan bases and uh, continues to be a man of uh, respect. And uh, we're going to find out a little bit exactly what it was that carried Tim through his NRL career and and what he's up to now. So, Tim, welcome to the Inspiration Project. Thank you for having me. It's um, it's fun to be here. Uh, we have known you over probably a decade. I think it was about two thousand and nine when uh, you you first uh, pulled on the the blue and gold jersey in a first grade context. Would that have been about right? Two thousand nine. Yeah, David, two thousand nine. Yep, it's a What now. was that like to run out onto your your first game of of uh, first grade NRL? Yeah, my first game was actually over in New Zealand. Um, so it was actually good to be away from all the hype and the noise, so I didn't get too nervous. Um, and a couple, of, yeah, my brother and a couple of friends came out to watch it, and uh, it was nice. It was like we didn't get the win, but it's just a really cool way to start your career. Um, we stayed in the same hotel actually as the um, the Indian cricket team. Is that right? And yeah, it was. So that was my first kind of taste of you know, professional sport and staying in the hotel with them. They had, we were over in Auckland and I think there was about 300 people camped outside our hotel the whole time just waiting to a glimpse of the Indian cricket team. So um, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty cool. I still remember Nathan Highmarsh ran down to a, like a sports store and got the cricket bat to get to Nook and decide it. Is that right? So you you were you were doing some of the fan stuff as well, huh? <laughs> yeah, so all, um, yeah, we're all fans as well of the um, of the cricket team. But uh, yeah, it was good to get out of Sydney and play over there, I guess. And um, yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah. So Tim, let me wind you back because that that's a big day uh, run out against the the Warriors in um, in New Zealand, first game of rugby. But that obviously was the the beginning. Was well, really not the beginning. It was the the midpoint of career in sport or a, a life of sport that must have had quite a story leading up to that point. Can, can you tell us a bit about when did you realise that rugby league was, was going to be a, a special area of, of uh, investment for you and, and, and energy? Yeah, I, um, I started off playing soccer when I was a kid, so huh. I about I was 12. I realised really my body was probably... <laughs> I realized my body was probably suited more to lead. Um, but yeah, I used to love playing footy in the backyard with my family and, and cousins and brothers. So um, I started when I was 13. Um, I was lucky enough to get picked up by Parramatta when I was, as a 14 year old. 
and just so you, you really started rugby at 13 and got picked up as a prospect at 14. Yeah, yeah, right. I was like, I was pretty fortunate. I got fast learner early. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, it was always in our DNA. We loved playing. So throughout my childhood, we played a lot in the backyard, and I loved the sport. And yeah, so I got kind of trained through the Parramatta system. Mm. Um, but must it wasn't have been that high school coach, that, Jim. Must have been Mr. Brummel, that high school coach. That yeah, yeah, Gary Brummel. Yeah, Gary Brummel. He was um, one of the great school principals you could ask for. Um, you know, he was he was incredible, and you know, really grateful for him. But also, um, I'm extremely grateful for. Um, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson was our PE teacher, yeah, good. and yeah, he, he coached us a lot as well. And um, yeah, I, I learned some lessons from a young age that you know that Jacko taught us that um, you know throughout my whole career, you know, they helped me massively. Even small things like you know, um, our school team motto was you know Isaiah forty thirty, and you know we still always you know talk about you know. Wings of Eagles before a game at school footy, and throughout my whole career, um, it just became a thing. So I used to like read as I 40, 28, 31 before I played every game, but then it started, I had it memorized. So literally, before I ran out to the field for every game, I just memorized it and just say it to myself in my head. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just little things like that that you know, you learn from people like you know, Mr. Jackson and you know, the, the guidance of the, of the principal like Mr. Brummel. Um, you know, I'm really grateful to this day to happy block that in my life that really shaped me as become a person I became. I, w- I want to circle back to that about the role of key people in your development and, and not just your skill level, but your character development. But l- let me roll you back. You mentioned that you love playing footy in the backyard with your family. Tell us about your family yeah. and a Lebanese family, renowned, uh, close knit family. Um, what was it like growing yeah. up? Yeah. Well, well, Mr. Brummel will know probably yes, a bit about our family because there was one stage I was a man every single year from seven to twelve at school. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we you know I was one of four boys. Um, around the corner we had our cousins who, who were managed as well, and they had six boys. Wow! And so we had you know, ten boys. Pretty team of, you, of your own. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So um, yeah, we were extremely close. We still um, you know, we were at school with each other. We um, you know, we really enjoyed spending time together and. Yeah, just being, I guess, you know, our Lebanese background, you know, family was, you know, everywhere. So it'd be 11 o'clock at night, you'd be sitting at home, someone would just walk in the house uninvited and it's just just how we did life and it was really good. Um, uninvited, but it day, well. Exactly, yeah, correct. So there was always, um, we are always in each other's pockets, we are always around each other and, um, yeah, I think, you know, looking back now, I was really grateful that we had that opportunity to yeah, that is a that is a great thing when you can enjoy family relationships. So, mm. um, Tim, the, the the faith has obviously been a part of your life. Was that something that you were introduced to through your family, or did that ha- happen something separately? How did you come to? Yeah, that? <laughs> well, apparently, my mum brought me to church the, the very week I was born. So, right, I was pretty much um, brought up as much as you could in church. My mum's brother was a pastor of the church. Right. Um, I grew up, I grew up in and um, the history of that is there was a pastor in America, um, Richard Hester, who came a missionary from America to Lebanon. Yeah, right. Started started church in Lebanon, and then the civil war broke out, and a lot of people scattered and left the country. 
Yeah. He learned that my dad and a lot of a lot of people that were in the church came to Sydney. So he mm-hmm. followed them to Sydney, Australia. And they met in my uncle's house as doing church services. And then, you know, he grew into a church. Um, and that's kind of um, the church that, yeah, it was a huge part of my upbringing because, you know, I talked about, you know, my cousins and going to school with each other. But more importantly, we went to church with each other and we spent so much time. Yeah, obviously every Friday night was at youth and every Sunday and Sunday night was Sunday morning, Sunday night at church. Wednesday there'd be a prayer meeting. Um, mm-hmm. there'd be you know, working bees or something on a Saturday. So I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, outside of school, church was probably the biggest influence that we had. And um, you know, we, we were very fortunate to grow up in a, in a Christian home and have those values, you know, instilled in us at a young age. So w- when did it become your faith, Tim? It's it's one thing to grow up with the family and that culture and that community. It seems mm. that at some point you found your own relationship with Jesus. How did that happen? Yeah, I was, I was about 12 or 13 and I, I was in a science school class. And to be honest, it was the old uh, turn or burn sermon that got me. It was, uh, I, heard, I heard a bit about hell and I remember thinking, no, I don't want to go there. Um, and in Sunday school, so I remember making a decision to, to ask God to come to my life and be my saviour. Yeah, yeah as, a, as a 12 or 13 year old, I, I wouldn't say my life changed dramatically. I, didn't, I wasn't like a, was down the beaten path and, and completely turned my life around. I felt like life was pretty similar, but, um, you know, as, as much as things didn't change, I think it's everything, everything changed, I guess, because, um, yeah. you know, I got to, uh, you know, have the Holy Spirit inside of me and, and, and do life, um, you know, and just take my faith to another level. So I just felt, just felt, um, I felt very fortunate to be able to, you know, have that happen at a young age and, and have that journey with, with God throughout you know, my childhood as well as, you know, my, my adolescent years, which, um, you know, really helped shape the person I became as well. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And you're right about that. It, you know, you become a Christian early or later in life and there's stuff to work out, isn't there? Life still happens. And you've got yeah, to yeah. how does faith make a difference for me as a 14, 15-year-old or as a 20-year-old or... 30 year old yeah for me as a 50 year old we, we yeah. had an impact and and what's the importance of it tim rugby league is probably not recognized as the sort of environment where it, uh, it's probably easy to be a christian what was it like for you as the 14 or 15 year old with a faith that you wanted to be true to coming into a culture that wasn't focused on your faith, but on your performance, your value to the club, what you, what they could, uh, uh, the reward that you could bring for them. What, what, how was that for you? We kind of touched on it a bit earlier about, um, I guess, the environment, um, you know, that you surround yourself in. And I had a good environment. You know, I was kind of wrapped in, in cotton wool as a kid. You know, I went to, my past was a church. I went to a church a lot. I went to, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. Um, I wasn't really exposed to the world a whole lot until you know, footy came a bit more real. Um, so I, I started playing as a 14 year old. And then at the time, you know, 15, 16, you're, you're at the age where most people, most kids in life, you know, start discovering parties and alcohol and, and the girls. And, um, you know, obviously growing up with the, with the background I did, I, I made some pretty, you know, I made some commitments to myself that I, I want to stick by and mm-hmm. things like, you're not having sex before I was married. You're not taking drugs. You're not being someone that gets drunk. And all those things I want to do, while they were very challenging at a younger age, because there's a lot of peer pressure, it 
choosing what kind of man I want to become later, mm. those those decisions, and you know, obviously, if I'm talking to high school students, they're probably they're at a stage now where where I was, where the decisions I made in high school turned me into the man I became because. When I started playing NRL, you know, years later at the same club where I made these decisions, nothing was hard because everyone knew yeah. my standards and my morals and, yeah. you know, everyone just accepted that that's who I was, you know, and people would say, oh, well, no, Timmy doesn't do that. You know, don't, don't bother asking him. Or that. And it made, it made my transition to uh, the NRL so much smoother because um, because of choices I made as a, as a 16, 17-year-old. That is so good. That is a, a very bit of um, wise counsel. You, you make some... Smaller decisions early, and it makes the bigger decisions a bit easier, right? Once you mm-hmm. yeah, sense of yeah. this is who I am, this is what I stand for, and uh, it's an interesting thing because I think you're also right, Tim. Is that while we might be fearful that others can reject us if we make some of those decisions based on our our Christian faith, more often than not, yeah. they respect that. Other people respect that. Okay, that's who you are. You've got some principles that. Are informing those decisions. Is that sort of how it was for you? Did they, did they know the reasons for for the decisions you were making? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I was pretty vocal about it at the time as well. Everyone knew about my faith. Everyone knew why I was doing what I was doing. Um, to the start of my career, um, probably a bit different than it is now. Um, you know, the, back then it was almost. And I know Brett Finch. I heard a podcast him yesterday talking about how they used to, um, yeah. There's an old saying that don't don't trust anyone that doesn't drink. Um, yeah. Where where now that was the culture back then, but I feel like the, the culture's really shifted, and, and yeah, it's a lot. It's much easier now for um for people to kind of make these decisions because it's very respected and we're very well embraced. And um and I think you know I'll be back at pioneers like Jason Stevens and people that saw that for their faith before anyone else did, and they yeah. had a couple of most hits, but. Um, it's made it so much easier now, and there's you know, there's a lot of Christians in our sport, and a lot more that are vocal and God that are you know praying on the field and having Bible yeah. studies at training, and and um, it's just yeah, it's really embraced and encouraged. I, I wanted to pursue that because I think you you mentioned the shift of, in culture, and uh, that is such yeah. a true thing to to notice the the little uh, prayer groups that that form after games, where in the yeah. circles and take the knee and 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 pray together. It's, it seemed to me, I may not be right, but you were part of that sort of becoming a thing, right? Yeah. So just, you know, I know we just got a bit of flack when we started because, you know, some fans didn't like the idea of us you know, playing with opposition, especially after we had a loss. Um, but, yeah, the, the, it was always about the bigger picture. It was never about the game of footy. It was never about, it was more about giving honour to as due and, and, and trying to glorify God with, with the platform we had. So, um you know, I'm, I'm, it's really exciting to see that still going to this day. And, um, you know, I think it's, like I said, I think the society and sport is shifting in a way where, you know, it's embracing not just of, you know, your faith, but like it's it's a lot more embracing of, you know, your what, what country you come from. You know, like mm. I feel like there's, everyone's a lot more accepting. Mm. Um, and, you know, faith, you know, most clubs now have, you know, a club chaplain, which was, you know, not the standard back in the day, but you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be hard pressed to find a club with with a ch- without a chaplain now. So it's definitely taken a shift, and it's one for the better, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, just as a bit of a personal reflection, when you guys showed the courage to step into that sort of space, the the encouragement it was to Christians looking on. I know it was a witness to the world, but mm. 
it really did do Christians a world of good to see you guys come together, arms on shoulders, and 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 honour the, the the Creator in uh, in that sort of space. So, thank you for being part of response to that. It's uh, it's been fantastic. Let me let me take you back. Um, I'm interested to know. You know, you you're a young guy. Obviously, you're quite athletic as you're growing up, and you're playing soccer. You mentioned about you felt your physicality was better suited to this particular sport. Let me ask you about what it's like for a young person to to find their thing to to be at that stage where you you get into the thing. I'm, this is what I'm good at. This is what I want to do. My passion. How did you get that sense of clarity around, I've got options, but this is my thing? Yeah, it's weird. Like, you know, now I've moved into retirement into, you know, the corporate world and, you know, I always tell people that, you know, I overachieved as a footy player, you know, because <laughs> I was always, growing up, I was always more of an intellect than an athlete. You know, I always right. considered, myself, considered myself to be, you know, yeah, smarter than I was athletic. Um and I, I, you know, by God's grace, I've been, I was able to manage, you know, a good career in sport. Um, but this, this next chapter of, you know, in the corporate world is something that I feel, um, comfortable in and something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to and, and something that I enjoy. So, um, you know, serving the purpose of the sports world, you know, I look back at how much, you know, it's, it's blessed me with, but I'm excited about the next chapter. I spent my whole career studying, you know, I did a, a sports business degree. I did financial planning mm. diploma. I did my real estate license. I'm doing my brokerage course. I've just I've been throughout my whole course. I've always my whole career. I've always studied. Yeah, that's um, fine. Was that I something was required? Him? Did, did the club put those things? Uh, in you? Well, they they made a rule later on that if you're in the twenties program, you have to be either doing apprenticeship or study. So that was the rule. But you know, at the moment, if you look at our squad, there's probably eighty percent of people aren't doing much at all. Yeah. Uh, but I just didn't you see, really take advantage of, you know, a lot of my education was paid for. So um, I really took advantage of that and it, it definitely helped the transition post-career to uh, be a lot smoother. Yeah, indeed. Because that is part of the issue, isn't it? You, As a sportsman, you've got a window where you're going to be able to take the, the heavy knocks and mm-hmm. physically perform. What happens after that? So you, you're always thinking ahead in that sort of space? Yeah, I was always I was always planning ahead, and you know, I spent the last three years of my career doing a transition program where I'd work one day a week with the club, and they'd, they'd um, you know, teach me about the commercial world and how, you know, how who our sponsors were and what's involved in sponsorship, and so I was always intrigued with that step. And then when I retired, I took a role with a commercial team, yeah, cool. um, working with our sponsors at Parramatta. Yeah, super, super. Um, so you're still involved in the community in some way, but in a, in the rugby league community, but in a mm-hmm. different sort of capacity. Exactly, yes. I still got my foot in the door. You know, I'm still passionate about the club and I love the place. Um, so it's nice to have that association with the club, but also be able to um, do something I'm passionate about as well outside of rugby league. You're always a, you must have been, oh, I don't want to say must have been, it sounds as though you must have been the sort of guy that was highly organised to manage all the different things that were going on for you, school, mm-hmm. sport, you know, training, study for a future career. Is that an aspect of your personality that you can manage yeah. a lot of balls in the air? Yeah, well, I'm probably a bit of OCD. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like, yeah, I like to be organised. I like things to be in order. Um, which you know, me and Jared Hayne always joke about because he's 
the opposite. So growing up with him was always frustrating. You know, I like to get somewhere like you know, half an hour early. He liked to get there half an hour late. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a man that that likes order and likes things to um, yeah be organised. Yeah, that's good, and that serves you well because it, it brings a sense of discipline to your training and your preparation and future thinking. Yeah, sort of. Um, some of the things that have crept into rugby league, where the teams are very organised, everyone has a role to play. It's it's uh, a bit more structured. That sort of yeah, it's, your uh, approach. Well, as they say, you know, when you retire, the, the the biggest thing is to try to keep some kind of structure in your life because as a as an athlete. You spent the last, you know, eleven years of your life being told exactly what time to be, where to be at, what mm-hmm. to eat, when to sleep. Um, so it's just been so structured your whole life. And a lot of players retire and they go from having that to not not knowing what to do with themselves and they um that is a bit of a sense of purpose. So um, you know, luckily for me I've always enjoyed having that kind of structure in my life anyway. So even to this day, you know, now I know I'll wake up and go into the gym, mm. go into coffee. I've got a bit of routine that I like to stick to and um it's it's really helped. Yeah, making sure there's not a huge gap post football with the way I do my day. Yeah, do you, do you miss the playing, Tim? Is it something that you wish you could pull the boots on again and leave the glory? <laughs> I get asked all the time. I get asked all the time, and my my answer is no. I, there's some things I miss. Like there's a feeling like after after a win, going to the sheds after the win that night, going home. There's always that's a great feeling. Yeah. Um, there's so about ninety five percent of it I don't miss at all, and you know, I became captain of the club when I was 25. And I think things changed a lot once that happened. You know, pre pre being captain and pre being a 25 year old, it was the I was the young kid in the block. Yeah, um, who was playing playing well and had no responsibility. Um, and then once they put a title or a tag on your name, it um, it changes a lot and you know, expectation and responsibility and pressure come along along with that. And um, you know. Not saying I didn't enjoy it, but it's just a different kind of um, enjoyment. You know, it's uh, you know, you, you wear you wear a lot of the hits, and yeah, you, you, know, you feel a lot of the losses a lot more when you have that responsibility on you. Yeah, that is so. so true. I was ready. I was ready. I was ready to finish up when I did. The the transition. This is, I guess, a, a question I get. You, you get asked a lot, but the jump from regular rugby league at a club level to state of origin. What's yep. What's it like to make that sort of step into the the yeah. state of origin football? It was awesome. It was, I just remember being so fast. You know, I was um I was, I was able to play a game with Craig Bellamy as coach. Um, and you know, that first year I came in, it was you know the game three. We, we lost the first two, um, so I came into a bit of a, a morbid camp. But you know, they they the series was already over when, when I got in there. Mm. Uh, but the following year, I played. The series was over when I got there, and they just, you know, were really defeated. Uh, whereas the following year, I played the whole series with Ricky Stewart, and um, you know, that camp was incredible. It was the best experience. Um, you know, it's just um, new, new coaching staff, new players, new energy, um, and you know, we really, really had a crack. We almost, we almost won that series, and um, it was great to be a part of it. And I just remember the whole experience is just. It's like an on steroids. It's just yeah. um, like another. It's just huge, and um, you know the build-up, the excitement, the um, yeah, the, how many people get involved. I feel that even like rugby league, jumping on board and supporting it is um, it's really cool. Yeah, it is. That is for, for the 
Hulk of the New South Wales and Queensland, at least, it is the pinnacle of uh, of interest, isn't it, in the sport? And, and I think you're right. They say the Virgins, especially if there's a great contest, and uh, it, it's a good win. Tim, I, I want to use that as a launching point. You've you've spent the bulk of your last ten years or so, and beyond that, being involved in a sport that was every week win or lose, every season success or failure, the, the confronting notion of, of how you're going to deal with those sorts of, of um, highs and lows. As a, as a Christian, how, how did you deal with that issue? How did you deal with being in a community that was riding the roller coaster of we win, we lose, we're up? Yeah, yeah I'll be lying if I said I was great from the get-go. Um, the, 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 the honesty, the truth of it is, at the start of my career, you know, the first year in NRL, we made the grand final. Throughout all my juniors, we made grand finals, won competition. So I just assumed success was just normal. Mm. Then to have a dry spell where, you know, we went, you know, bad year, bad year, bad year. And um, early in my career, I, I didn't handle it well. You know, I'd, we'd have a loss and I'd be a bit of a sore loser. I'd not want to speak to anyone, not want to talk to anyone and just, um, you know, yeah, not, not enjoy it. Then it kind of got to the stage where, I learned I need to get a balance out of this because you're right, it's an emotional roller coaster. And if you keep riding it, it's um it's incredibly unhealthy. And you say I'll see so many players riding it these days. So I learned, you know, not to get too excited with the wins and not to get too down with the, with the losses. And just kind of keep that balance. I'm I'm so glad I learned that lesson before you know my wife and kids came on board because I I dare say I would have been a, a terrible father and husband during that early on in my career. So I'm glad I learned that lesson early on. So how do you balance that though with having that competitive edge, that sense of you know we don't tolerate losses, we performed a maximum. Yeah. Where's the line that? Or have you found the line? Is there a line? No, there's, there's definitely a line. There's definitely a way you can um, you can have a successful mentality and, and a winning culture without you know compromising you know and but also handle losses better. I feel like you look at the good coaches out there today, and you've got the Wayne Bennett's. Mm. Um, he's, he's an example because just recently, you know, he's South thing did a really, really good job and he spoke about the start of the year when they were losing. Um, he never panicked. He was just like, no, no, we will be right the right time of the year. Mm. Um, and that, that takes a really good coach that has a lot of confidence in himself, to, mm. a lot of belief in himself to get, know that. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of other coaches or players when they were losing the other year, they'd be feeling the heat and feeling the pressure mm. and, and, and just like, snowballing. Mm. Um, but for him to have that belief in, in knowing that what he, what his team team can do, yeah. and not getting not getting down with losses, but knowing that when it matters, I'll be right. Uh, that that's a great time of character and a great culture. Yeah, that's so so good, Tim. That's an interesting point to circle back to one of the points or one of the things you mentioned. I wanted to to revisit uh, from yeah. right at the start, and that's the influence that key people have had in your life. You're talking about the role of the coach and how important the influence of the coach is for all the skill that might be assembled in the team. There still needs to be somebody that is bearing some influence in that. Can you reflect a little bit on what you've learned or, or the people that have had that key level of influence, both on your footy and maybe on your character uh, as, as yeah. you, yeah. you like? Um, I'll, I'll look back at my, my, especially my childhood, and I'll look back at how fortunate I was with the people got in my life. You know, my, 
a lot of my mentors and my leaders and my coaches, my pastors, my youth leaders, a lot of people that really shaped the person I became have been so influential. But um, you know, they they did things that you know everyone would have done. So yeah, I want to take I want to make sure I do the same thing for the next generation coming through as well. But mm. yeah, you know, I spoke about Mr. Jackson and, and you know the impact he had on my career and my life. Um, he was huge. Then I went into Parramatta. And I had a coach called Joey Grimer, who, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better junior coach coming through the, the grades. Um, and he's still involved with the club now, but, you know, he, he had a huge impact on my career. Um, you know, things like, you know, my turning up early, you know, he instilled that into our squad at a young age. So if you train at a certain time, you know, you've got to be there. Mm. Early, fifteen minutes, half an hour earlier to, to prepare, and just instill those kind of habits in my life. So even now, if I'm going to meeting, I like to get there earlier because, um, you, know, you know, if you're on time, you're late. That was that was his theory. Um, and then you know, I, I kept going all the way through, and my, my first coach in our role was Daniel Anderson, who um, you know, I learned so much from, and and I have a lot of respect for. Um, so to have people, just to have people in my life that always help shape me. Um, you know, obviously my parents, my older brother was a great example for me. You know, to this day, I've never seen my older brother have a drop of alcohol or, um, you know, ever get up to any mischief. He's always, you know, just a incredibly straight line. And, yeah. um, you know, my brothers and I couldn't have asked for a better example. So, you know, it's just, I've had some insane great people to look up to. Um, mm. with, you know, a guy called David Fugali who, you know, who was, who a lot of his generation had left the church and he stuck around and because of him, you know, there's a there's three or four generations of kids coming through that, that you know, are plugged into church and, and, mm-hmm. and walking with God because he decided to stick around and and you know, be an example. Yeah, that's so good for the younger kids. So I'm really, yeah, really, really grateful for a lot of people in my life. I probably missed a whole bunch of people, but there's a lot of people that I'm really, really shaped. You know, today. The thing that I find interesting is as you're reflecting on those, and they've been. Uh, some of the people have been charged with the responsibility for training your skill level, your your performance in in your sport vocation. But the things that you're reflecting on aren't. They taught me how to play defence. They taught me how to cover a man. They taught me how to get the best out of me. Yeah. Talking about the sort of person you've become, the things that you hold to be values in your life. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing for a, a guy at your point. You better look back and say, yeah, I, I am who I am by the grace of God manifests through mm-hmm. the different relationships that I've had. Uh, that's terrific. Tim, what's what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Yeah, well, I'm at a bit of a crossroads. I'm starting a new career next month in two weeks. Um uh, I'm, I'm taking a role, like starting a division for a, a sponsor out. So he's, he owns a finance company and I'm starting a new partnership with him. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, and I'm still going to be sticking around the club. So I'm, I'm still involved with the EOS and Lease Club as an ambassador. Um, and just, yeah, an ambassador for a couple of other companies, doing a bit of work with Fox still um, in the media and just, yeah, just kind of floating around. But I'm really excited about this new opportunity I've got to work with this finance company because. Um, yeah, he's 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 been really um I guess helping me have a bit of a dream around with it. So it's kind of like backing me and saying, you know, this is as big as small as you want it to be. So I'm really excited to 
get stuck in traffic and get started. Yeah, a little bit nerve wracking to be stepping into something brand new and the uncertainty of all that. Um, yeah, okay. the dummy. It's, it is nerve wracking. Obviously, like you know, when you yeah at the start of the end, they're all talking about targets and expectations, and there's a part of me that actually misses that. You know, I think I've had so much pressure on me for you know eleven years of you know playing in the NRL, um, and then just in the last twelve months where I've really enjoyed the transition, but. You know, I would guess I've done a lot of pressure. You know, a lot of the work I've done in the last 12 months is based on team out of the brand rather than you know, the work I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to have a bit of pressure on me and say, well, this is what we need to deliver. You know, I need you to do it. So it feels good. And I'm, I've actually missed that. So I'm looking forward to stepping in the ring again and, and stepping up. Getting into that adrenaline rush, you know, the crossing the line. Yeah, like, it's on. Whistle's going to go. And, uh, it's all systems here. Tim, we've so much appreciate the time that you've been able to give to us. We we want to honour you as a, a man that God has positioned in a really prominent and influential place in our society that we're able to stay true to the call of faith that uh, God made to you and that your response to him and the influence that you had, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, that, that uh, spoke to so many people, both those of faith and those challenged to consider the place of God in their life. I, I pray that you will just as much enjoy what God opens for you in this new season as you're able to enjoy with uh, your involvement in the footy and um, know that we are thinking of praying for and, and, and hope that it brings every success that God brings to you. I appreciate that so much, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. One last question. How did you feel about the Eels this season? Oh, yeah, it was so, so promising, so promising at the start of the year, then this all unfolded a bit up to the back. But, um, you know, the lovely thing about footy is there's always next week and there's always Amen. next year. So. We talked about the highs and lows, there's yeah. always next season. We'll roll the dice again. Yeah. Tim, thank you Thanks, so much mate. for your time. God bless you. Um, may he uh, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. 